This is the Spurs Cast with your host, Paul Garcia. Welcome back to another episode of the Spurs Cast. On today's episode, I will be joined by Project Spurs writer Colin Reed. In this episode, Colin and I will be discussing the Spurs' surprising start with a 3-2 and record, uh, a roster move that they made this past week, and also a trade rumor uh, hovering around one of their veteran players. Colin, how are you doing? It's been a long time. No see. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm doing really well. It's, uh, you know, the offseason, it was good to kind of step back and recharge a bit. But you, you get into the first two weeks of the regular season, and the first game, you're like, okay, I'm watching. I'm going to count everything. I'm going to say, oh, this is how many pick-and-roll possessions that blah, blah, blah has. This is how well so-and-so defended the whatever. And then by game five, you're like, okay, so much is happening. There's a game on every night. <laughs> yeah, Everything is happening everywhere, and you just kind of get overwhelmed by it all. I know. A week and a half into the season, I'm really looking for one of those two days off, you know, whenever that's coming. <laughs> I don't even know when that's coming. But, yeah, man, it's great to have you back on. All right, so like I said, man, this was a surprising start for the Spurs. Okay, so uh, so the Spurs do begin the season three and two. Let's go through a quick recap of, these, of their first five games of the year, and I do want to note that Colin and I are recording this on a Thursday evening. So game one opens, and it looked like the Spurs were going to be the lottery team that everybody talked about. You know, the tanking Spurs. They lose by, they lose by 27 at home uh, to the Charlotte Hornets. The Hornets were favored by one and a half points. Then they go on the road and win in Indiana by three points. They had a comfortable lead at first in the fourth quarter. Indiana made a, a strong comeback, and the Pacers were favored in that game. Then they go to Philly and de- defeat the 76ers by nine points. That was an impressive win for San Antonio. Philly was favored by 13 and a half points. Then they go to Minnesota, and they, they also defeat the Wolves on, on the first night on Monday this past week. The Wolves were favored by eight and a half. And then uh, their second loss of the season just came on Wednesday, where the Spurs uh, lost to the Minnesota Timberwolves by 12. The, the, the Wolves built a 17-point lead on San Antonio, but San Antonio competed. You know, they, were, they were right there within single digits of the Wolves in the fourth quarter. And we do want to note, though, that, that uh, Devin Vassell and Josh Primo uh, were injured for this game, so they were not in, in the game at all. And we don't know yet if they're going to play on Friday against Chicago. So, um, Colin, let's first get your thoughts. What were your thoughts on those first five games for the Spurs? You know, I think that before the game, Philly was probably the most surprising, you know. The, the expectation was probably that the Spurs were going to get blown out. But I think now with the benefit of hindsight and knowing that this Philly team is still trying to figure out exactly who it is and exactly what they're doing, it's not, to me, all that surprising that they lost to the Spurs team. You know, I think they're one in four as we record this. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they're, they're going to be an Eastern Conference powerhouse, but they're just maybe like the Celtics were at the start of last season where they're trying to kind of change up a lot of their system, especially they had a whole training camp to bring in James Harden, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think, you know, if you were to look at these five games and the Spurs were to win any of them, from the outset, that might be the most surprising. But I think now, the actually the most surprising one to me is the fact that they only lost by 12 last night to the Wolves. Because when they beat the Wolves by nine, I was absolutely sure the Wolves were going to come up back and like blow the pants off of them. Like just win by like 30, 35, like I thought they were going to be pissed off. I thought we were going to see like Cat and Ant and just like everyone humming. And then no Vassell, no Primo. So you think that even more. And then the Spurs hung around. So even though it was a loss and we are expecting the Spurs to lose, I thought that was going to be like a 30-point game running away with it. Angry, angry Timberwolves team. So that to me was kind of surprising, you know. And I think the biggest takeaway for me is, you know, the Spurs know who they are. They know that they're mm-hmm. not competing for a championship right now. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think, and, and this might be, I know there's there's kind of a mysticism around Coach Pop because he's just been doing it for so long. But one thing I can say with certainty is 
I think he's okay with putting a less talented group on the floor, but he is not okay with his team being out executed. You know, and every night they're going to go in and they're going to execute. And so when you have a team like the Sixers who aren't cohesive yet and the Spurs out execute them, the talent gap gets made up. When you have the Wolves who just are incorporating Gobert and Towns together and there's a talent gap, yeah, the Spurs are going to out execute them. You know, like it does not matter how hard they are trying to rebuild or whatever. Pop will not abide by a lack of execution and a lack of effort. So I think that's why you're seeing these wins and you might see some more early on in the season, but I think that's why they'll start to tail off, you know, as teams kind of start to get that cohesion and they start to do that, that um, effort and execution advantage that the Spurs have will start to wear off. But I think that's kind of why they're catching teams by surprise early on in the season. Yeah. And that kind of transitions us into one other point that I, that I wanted to, to note is that, you know, what you said there is that like the, the other teams aren't, you know, have that, that, that camaraderie just yet. Like the Spurs do, they kind of, the Spurs are off to a good start. And you could tell San Antonio was off to something strong by the preseason. I, I know that they got blown out of that Rockets game, but then they played pretty well. They were kind of in every other preseason game. Um, and, and so they have a lot of familiarity. But one thing that let's talk about first is the offense that, that I, uh, one of the, there's one key stat in here that I want to go through. So right now, through five games, the Spurs have the 11th ranked offense, according to the, these are the using the NBA stats. They are very fast. This is something they talked about in training camp in the preseason they wanted to play fast run run teams off the floor try their, their best that they could so they're third right now in pace and you saw that in that first win against the wolves where rudy gobert carl i think towns they really struggled to keep up with the spurs especially in fast break scoring san antonio outscored them 24 to 2 they are moving the ball really well this is something where you know they don't they, they talked about this you know the, the players that that coach pop didn't put in a lot of set plays for this team in training camp in the preseason because he more so just wants them to learn how to play basketball together. You know, a lot of a lot of um, um, read and react kind of offense. Just you know, if you see a pick and roll, you see a mismatch, just execute. You know, move do their motion offense and just see where you know there's back there's back cuts, things like that. And they have good passing bigs like Zach Collins, Yaka Pertle, who can do that. Um, so you see that with this ball movement. I mean, they've already had three games with 30 assists. They they lead the league right now with, with um, I think it's like 30.5 assists per game. They're number one in on assist percentage. They're also doing well on the boards. They're top 10 there. And then here's the biggest reason why I think that they've really um, you know, had a strong start as well is look at their three points, uh, some of their three-point numbers. They're top 10 right now in three-point makes, you know, a Spurs team in three-point makes being top 10, and also their three-point percentage. Uh, they're also top 10. They're shooting the ball well from three. And, you know, in the past few years since they've had, like, DeRozan as a team leader, DeJounte Murray, they were, it always showed in the stat sheet whenever they won the three-point line, it led to success for this team. And, but, but the majority of the time, they lost the three-point line because they were a lot of mid-rangers and, and inside scoring. But right now, when your two go-to players, Devin Vassell and, and um, Keldon Johnson, are averaging eight three-point attempts a game, that's that's a total different shot philosophy for this team that lets them compete and I think definitely keeps them in games or, like like um, like you said, kind of uh, tightens that, that talent gap. You know, teams may, may have, like, the All-Stars and the All-NBA players, but if the Spurs are shooting threes like this, uh, that's a huge, that's a huge uh, difference. Out of these stats, here's my question. Which one do you think is going to kind of tail off or which one do you think could, could end up improving? Or do you think like some of them are like kind of where they're going to end up being for the year? So I think um, pace and offensive rebounds are kind of more about how they're playing. Mm-hmm. And just because this team is so young, I have a hard time imagining that like, you know, 50 games into the season, they're going to be like, oh, we're tired of running. We can't do this anymore. <laughs> I think if anything is, you know, fool's gold right now, it's definitely... It might not be the three-point attempts, but it might be the three-point makes. You know, I think in that Hornet game, um, they were taking a lot of threes in that game, too. They just weren't making any of yes. them. And mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, when I was watching that game, coming into the season, I thought their two biggest weaknesses on offense were a lack of, like, uh, experienced creators and shooting. And that game just, like, exposed that. You know, there was turnovers every time someone tried to dribble the ball. No one could hit a shot. 
Um, but then over the past four games, the shooting has been better. And I, I think the answer is probably somewhere in between. I do think if the three-point shooting starts to go down, I think that the assists will go down just as a result of that, you know? Like a, yeah. a good pass is made to an open guy, but he misses the shot. But I, I think their philosophy won't change. So I think their passing and stuff, they'll, they'll still be a good passing team. I think their assists will just go down because of the fact that their three-pointers, I think, will be up and down all season. I think... Um, I look at uh, Keldon and, and Devin Vassell as two players who I think might be up and down all season mm-hmm. when it comes to that. Just especially if for no other reason than, well, first of all, we haven't seen either of them come out with like a two or three season stretch and just like be these strong shooters, you know? And we've seen time after time where players have one good shooting season and then like they have a hard time replicating it. And we're talking about like, oh, you know, so-and-so player on the Jazz, you know, four years ago had one 40% shooting season and never got back to that, but he's still making money off of that one shooting season. So I think um, not only that, but also neither uh, Keldon nor Devin have had to put, like, had so much of the offensive load on their shoulders. Yeah. So I think that they're going to be up and down all season when it comes to that. But in this, this isn't... Uh, I was looking up some stats when it came to play types before the podcast, and this isn't exactly related to three-point shooting, but I wanted a quick, a quick quiz for you. Okay, so the number one point-per-possession leader when it comes to spot-ups on the Spurs right now is Doug McDermott, which is not surprising. Okay, He makes uh, 1.36 points per possession on spot-ups. Can, can you guess who number two is? Okay, spot-ups. Um, is it – oh, no, no, it's Keldon. It's Trey Jones, one point three. Yeah, it's. I mean, he he barely hit the cutoff for even like showing up on this because he's only yeah. had ten spot up possessions. But it's just one of those funny things where you don't think of him as like a spot up as a three point guy. And, and early on in the season, I think there's going to be some of these up and down stats. So, the three point shot is one of them. I mean, if I'm wrong and that keeps up, then they are going to be a playing team, which maybe isn't the best yes. thing for them right mm-hmm. now. But but I think. Um, the other stuff, the pace, the offensive rebounding, all of that stuff, I think is is um, pretty like manageable to keep that kind of stuff going. I just don't think the three pointers are as manageable for them. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, again, I can't, I can't, I can't say if they're going to keep this up. But again, the, the way they're starting, if they do that, though, they're gonna, they're gonna have, they're gonna be a successful team, and that's the thing you just got to watch. Uh, let's go to the defensive end of the floor. This is an area where they are struggling, but a lot of it, though, I would say is is very skewed because it's such a small. We got to also remember this with all the stats. It's it's very small sample size, just five games. But a lot of this is, um, you know, went horrible for them because of that Wolves game where the Wolves shot 65 percent from the floor, or 61 percent, whatever it was. So overall, for defense right now, they're 24th on defense uh, because of that Wolves game. They're they're dead last in an opponent effective field goal percentage, which is kind of when you combine the, the, the inside with the, um, with the three-point and a, a field goal percentage. Uh, they're 26 in opponent rim makes, um, 10th in points off turnovers. That's a strength for them. And then uh, 20th in opponent three-point makes and 25th in opponent three-point percentage. They had actually been guarding the three-point line well uh, for, for two or three games, but then that Wolves game really set them back because of just how well Minnesota shot making 23s and making over 60% of them. Um, what, what, are you, what are your thoughts so far on, on their defense? You know, it's it's interesting because we talk about the three-point percentage on offense being something that is um, has a lot of variance to it. But I think mm-hmm. there have been a lot of people who have really dug into, like, defensive three-point percentage and how that can be something that's really impacted by luck, uh, especially when you only have a four-game sample. Yeah. Um, and, and it, you know, 
the second Wolves game, but also that first Hornets game, they were like flamethrowers. They could not yes. miss from three. Yes. Um, so I, I do think the the three-point percentage, I think that might normalize a little bit. Um, the rim makes is a little bit interesting just because, you know, Pirtle there is someone who you can rely on as like a good um, rim protector. I think, you know, I think coming into the season, you would have expected the offense is going to be pretty ugly. Sometimes there's going to be flashes of fun and excitement just because it's a young and athletic team. But like for the most part, it's going to be a pretty bad offense. But then the defense is going to be competent enough and that's going to be yes. what keeps them in games. Uh, especially kind of like, you know, Trey Jones is not DeJounte in a lot of ways, but their, their kind of formula on defense the past couple of years has been DeJounte is the point of attack defender and then um, Jakob kind of holds it up at the rim and they can still do that system with Trey Jones in... DeJounte's place so you figured like okay their defensive system doesn't have to change too much um and like you said only five games in so this stuff is like one game changes this stuff massively yes. but I, mm. I do feel like halfway through the season I would be surprised if it's still the offense that's above average and the defense that's below average because this team doesn't seem like all that much of an offensively talented team but they actually have some underrated talent on defense so I think we might see these things, you know, maybe in 10 games or so kind of flip where the offense now is, is what's lower and the defense is higher. And I think especially that opponent three-point percentage might be a little bit uh, just bad luck against them. Yeah, I'll, I'll move to you. You know, in the preseason, I, I mentioned how this is going to be, a, you know, when at the end of the year, they're going to they're going to rank better defensively than they are offensively. So that's why it's it's, a, it's surprising to see that they're 11th on offense right now. But yeah, I think that overall, at the end at the end of the day, it's going to be their defense. That's that's their strong point. And you know, that's that's where they're going they're going to improve uh, improve it as as time goes on. All right, so now let's go to going forward. Um, so you know, when when you look at the Spurs with this three and two record, and you look at their uh, their net rating, uh, cleaning the glass has a formula where they basically project, you know, what would this team look like, and from past seasons teams um, uh, of different teams. And so right now, the, the cleaning the glass, uh, you know, they project the Spurs at, at this point, you know, on on, on this Thursday to, to win uh, tw- about twenty nine games, twenty eight point six wins uh, is their projection right now. And that is that is definitely past what Vegas wanted. Vegas only had the Spurs with 22 wins in this coming season. I mean, they've already gotten three out of the way, so they're just 19 away now from breaking that. Uh, and then, you know, as far as, like, uh, again, they're, 28.6 isn't going to get you in the playing game, but it's also, you know, right now they're projected not to finish. Uh, they're, they're projected to finish better than the Pistons, the Rockets, the Magic, the Pacers, the Thunder. And those are five, you know, again, if you're if you're six, you have the six worst record that it's not getting you Victor Wembanyama or, or, you know, or Scoot Henderson. So that, that could be a concern. So what do you think about just kind of their overall projections this early in the season? I know it's only five games. Yeah, so um, two things. And I think one of them, you know, the Spurs aren't going to tank as hard as the process Sixers did. Yeah. But back in 2013, 2014, um, those Sixers started the year 3-0. and and then they actually, uh, after six games, they were four and two. And later on this season, they had another four-game winning streak. They still had a sub-20 win season, and they mm-hmm. ended up getting Joel Embiid in the draft. You know, So I think just because you might start hot doesn't mean that that's how the whole season is going to go. Um, I don't think um, it's too likely that, that they surpass 30 wins still. You know, But the, the difference, I think, between that six-year season and this season is you look at those teams – below the Spurs, and a lot of them have, I would say, a lot of uh, downward gravity. You know, a lot of them don't really have a lot of incentive to be better than the Spurs, and a lot of them mm-hmm. aren't very talented. So even though the Spurs are only three wins ahead of the Orlando Magic, like that, that might be a huge lead at this point. 
Um, the Pistons, I do think, will probably even out as higher yeah. than the Spurs by the end of the season. Uh, but one thing that was interesting, it's funny that there ends up being five teams below the Spurs because I just happened to look up what are your uh, odds of getting the number one pick as the sixth worst, re- worst record. And um, it is it is a important difference, but if you have the worst record, you have a 14% chance of getting the yes. first pick. If you have the sixth worst record, you have a 9% chance. So that is that 5%, Obviously, that's the difference between a franchise-altering move and not. Uh, but 14% is about flipping a coin three times and getting heads each time. And and 5% difference does matter. But but you know, like I, I think that there is this feeling that there's this chasm. But they've they've smoothed off the lottery odds so much yeah. that like even with the six worst odds, it's about a one in ten chance. Still not great. But even if the Spurs had the worst record, they would have less than a 30% chance at getting the first or second pick. So it's, it's you know, they've smoothed out the odds where even if the Spurs had the worst record, they'd be just about as likely to have the fifth pick as one of the top four. So it, it just is one of those things where I feel like people can't get too high or too low on, oh, they yeah. won this many games, they're this ahead. They're, oh, they're, you know, because at the end of the day, the ping pong balls are going to be what determines it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, with the sixth worst record, they still have a 9% chance if they have the worst record. Honestly, not much better than that. So I, I think I think they'll come back to earth a little bit, but there are a couple of teams behind them that I don't see passing them already, which is crazy to say. Like, I thought the Magic would be better than this, and they're, they're an exciting team, but I almost feel like I said, like a three-game lead that the Spurs have is going to be insurmountable at this point, which is kind of insane to say, but it's just... You know, I, I think that their their chance at the worst record might be over, but I think that they still have a good chance at a very good pick this year. Yeah, and then it, just the fact that, like, like, you know, like we've seen already, this team competes, and if you're not, if the, the opponent's not ready for them to do, there's a chance they could come out, you know, in your building, and you could, they can end up with a win against you. So it's something to watch. You know, again, it's only five games. We'll, we'll continue to see how this team does. All right, now let's talk about the rotation, Colin, um, for the Spurs this early in the season. So Code Pop has basically been playing everyone except the rookies, like, um, aside from Jeremy Sohan, aside, you know, the players like Malachi Branham, Blake Wesley, they recently got sent to Austin, uh, Dominic Barlow. So those players aren't playing. But but other than that, uh, he's got a strong nine-man rotation that he's using. And then also he has, like, he's, you know, he'll put in, like, Kata Bates Chop at certain moments or Isaiah Roby, Gorgie Jang. But the, but let's just first talk about the nine players, uh, the, the, key, the key rotation players. Uh, so let's start about the, let's talk about the starters. Uh, Devin Vassell and these and these numbers are rounded um, from for their box score stats. Uh, Devin Vassell right now is averaging twenty points, five rebounds, five assists. Uh, just some notes on him: his three level scoring is very evident. Like um, like we've talked about, um, he's averaging eight threes a game. He's accurate from three point from the three point line right now. He's getting to the free throw line on his drives. He's creating for others and he's and he's rebounding well. Keldon Johnson's averaging twenty two six and three. Um, he's got, he's also averaging eight, eight threes a game. Like I mentioned, uh, he's also being accurate from three. He's finishing close to the rim a lot better this season to start the season. Uh, he's a leader in drives, uh, and mostly, and, and he mostly attacks when he does drive. He doesn't really uh, pass the ball out. He's also boarding well, rebounding well. Jakob Pertl is giving you a 15 points, 11 rebounds and four assists, you know, a strong quarterback for this team. And then also bringing down those 11 rebounds. Trey Jones is starting point guard on offense of uh, 14 points, four assists, four rebounds. Uh, he is averaging 2.43 point attempts. So he's definitely using that shot a little bit more this year uh, he's attacking on his drives and what really sticks out with him is his deflection steals and also contesting shots so you mentioned there Colin that you know with DeJounte gone there's there's still more point of attack for Trey to do more on defense and then Jeremy Sohan the rookie is um is averaging seven points uh four rebounds and one assist and we do want to note that he had two straight scoring games of 10 or more points uh recently against the Wolves uh some things about him is that he's finishing very well near the rim he's like 10 of 15 in the restricted area 
He's driving and moving the ball for the team. Uh, he's contesting shots on defense, and also he's boarding well. Uh, you don't talk about each player on the on the starting lineup. Just anything you want to say about any of the starters right now, how they're playing? Um, I think, you know, I one of the things that I have appreciated has been how well Trey Jones has stepped into that kind of mm-hmm. starting primary offensive uh, creator role. Um, I, I there is a couple games he just he just reads the floor real well. I saw I don't remember which game it was. But I think Vassell got trapped kind of like near the half court line. Mm-hmm. And he just spotted it early and like flashed to the one spot in the floor where there was like an outlet for Vassell to make so that he could continue to play, you know? And like it's just this this level of court awareness and this level of like where people are situated. Um, I was talking about this with, with several people, but I think there is uh, him and Pirtle, especially. There's a type of player who is maybe not exciting because you think, oh, man, look at Keldon, how dynamic he is. You know, if he only gets 10% better, he could be like a superstar. Or imagine Vassell just 10% better. than what it, And, you know, you know what Trey Jones is going to be his whole career. And he's going to be good at that, and it's going to be a good long career. And it reminded me of Kyle Anderson, too. Like, you know exactly who they are. They'll never be stars, but they, they have a role, and they're very good at that role. And, like, that's something that's very important to a championship team. You know, I mean, that might be why Pirtle gets moved for a pretty good haul between now and the end of the season if he does get moved because he has like three or four things he just excels at. I think the other thing that I found a lot of fun has just been how hard Sohan will run in the open court. Just like, mm-hmm. you know, and he got three alley-oops off of that in the, the first Timberwolves game alone, you know, where the they get the ball, the the Spurs rebound the ball, and he's just running, you know. And that that's fun to watch just because they haven't had a lot of that on their team Um from a player, you know, DeJounte would sprint down the court and a lot of their ball handlers would sprint, but in terms of like a big man just running the floor and getting to the basket, the Spurs haven't had that for as long as I can remember and it's a whole lot of fun to watch. And I think, you know, he's not going to be perfect when it comes to scoring in the half court this season or maybe even next season, but if he can run in transition, he's going to actually be able to maintain that, you know, 7 to 10 points per game just because he's going to be able to find open shots with how hard he runs in the open court. Yeah, one of the things that, that I noticed about Jones that you know was very interesting to me was like he's really aggressive when he drives. He doesn't do it all the time, but when he does, I mean, he's going to the, rim, to the to the rim. You know, normally you would think you know he's this very patient quarterback, but when he does do his drives, like he's going straight there and like he's trying to finish and he has been finishing for them. And then so uh, there was something else I wanted to say about Sohan. I can't remember what it was, but uh, oh, the, his three point shot. So one good thing is yes, I know he struggles in his shot. We all knew that coming in, but the good thing is like he's not taking up he's not taking bad three point shots in terms of like he's if he's wide open, yes, he's taking it. If it's late in the shot, like it's not like he's putting up these early like you know uh, three-point shots with like seven seconds to just um, off the clock so so again that's going to be a shot that develops for him but at least he's taking it in the right context of the game he's not he's not forced to it uh, all right so let's go to the bench uh, the main four players who come off the bench for san antonio you got josh richardson um averaging 12 points to two um what is that rebounds three assists he's also averaging five three-point attempts he's accurate from three right now he stands out with deflections and steals on the defensive end Josh Primo is averaging seven points, three rebounds, and five assists. Uh, he's creating for his teammates very well. Um, he is struggling, though, with his shot um, overall, just inside and outside. Uh, Primo's struggling to finish finish uh, his shots. Uh, Zach Collins off the bench with seven points, three rebounds, three assists. Uh, he's contesting shots very well and, and blocking shots as well. He really sticks out compared to his teammates. And then Doug McDermott, an instant spark on, on with offense off the bench. Ten points uh, per game right now, two rebounds, two assists, uh, 4.43s. And he's, uh, he's also accurate from the three-point line. Um, what do you think about the, their players, any other players off the bench who you want to mention? You know, I think last season um, they had started McDermott, and I don't mm-hmm. think he was quite right for that role. But 
but I think he is like the perfect come off the bench, give a spark role. You know, I think he's been really great this season. Like his three point shot has been fallen. Like he provides a lot of energy, great cutter, uh, going to move well off the ball. That kind of thing is really important to that kind of, you know, it's interesting because we talked about, you know, you mentioned the motion offense and I had a piece breaking down a play where I said, Hey, like this yes. kind of looks like the motion offense. And you know, this team, way worse, way less talented, but in some way rem- reminds me of some of those early 2010 Spurs teams where you yeah. have like a first unit that's very deliberate. They're going to work for their shot in the open court or in, in the half court. They, they're going to like move, 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 move. Okay, then shoot. And then they have this backup unit that's like a spark plug with tons of shooting on it. They're just going to come out and shoot, 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 shoot. And then they're going to build a 30-point lead on your bench. And then the the first team's going to come back again and just like slowly paper cut you to death in the half court. Uh, again, way less talented, but it's kind of interesting to see this return to like the early 2010 Spurs because I know that a lot of Spurs fans uh, and a lot of people who cover the team uh, look at that style of play very fondly. And I, and I I was not expecting that that's where Pop would take the playbook back. Uh, it makes a lot of sense though when you think they don't have like that one yeah. guy that you give the ball to and go out and score for you. Um, but it's it has been fun. Just to see that that style of play that that uh, was so entertaining, um, and I think Primo, you know, you talked about him. I think he'll kind of even out too. I know early on I wrote about why I thought Trey Jones should be the starting point guard, and how he's the only one that had like um, self creation and creating for other chops on this team. Primo early on in the season has an unassisted field goal, uh, like over half of his field goal made or unassisted. So he he is he has completely flipped that. That was not the case for him last year. A lot of his field goals were were created by someone else. A lot of spot up yeah. shots and all that kind of stuff. But this year he has been given the ball a lot and he's been dribbling a lot. And um, it seems like Pop is really trying to. He'll play Trey Jones and Josh Primo together sometimes, but he's staggering them a lot because those are really the only two guys who can like um, dribble the ball down the court every single possession. Like Keldon, of course, and Devin, of course, they can do it. But like every possession, you know, like run a pick and roll every possession. Those are like the two guys on the roster who can do that. So I think Pop's really trying to keep them separated and have one of them out there at all times. So completely new role for Primo. I know in the summer league, we saw that they were trying to incorporate that into his game. And I'm going to be honest, I was a little bit skeptical of his ability to be, like I thought maybe the best role for him would be like Derek White 2.0. You know, plays hard on defense, a really good connector on offense, a really good secondary playmaker, uh, and is going to, like, make the right play every time. I kind of doubted his ability to be, like, that number one offense driver, but so far early in the season, he's been good at that, even if his shot hasn't been falling. But I think that'll come back as he gets used to his new role. Yeah, no, no, I agree, I agree there. Um, especially, I, I've been very impressed, like I said, with um, just the way he's moving the ball. And again, his shot's not falling, but like you said, Colin, he's probably has like the, he has like the most, like, I don't know how to say, like, like it's like, it, it seems easy for him to like kind of break down a, a defender, like just, just get into where, wherever he wants to his spots compared to most of it, most of his teammates. So, so the bench has been um, uh, very good, also, like like you mentioned there. And then also their versatility with they be able to bring in either Kata Bates, Jop, or Isaiah Roby. Those are also two uh, di- very different players and how they play and what they do on the court, but they're, but you know, they're impactful in their minutes whenever Pop does bring them in so again uh that's also a good another reason why why this this team has been uh, uh to, off to a good start is because their, their bench is, is a uh, very effective early on when they when they get into games so now let's go through some team news uh from this past week and also a trade rumor uh for the spurs 
So first team news, um, the Spurs did waive Jordan Hall, who was on a two-way contract on Monday. And then to, to, the reason why they waived him was to sign Charles Bassey to a two-way contract. They signed Bassey. He's a 6'9 big who has uh, 23 games of ex- NBA experience with the Philadelphia 76ers. And then also this past week, uh, Sham Strani of The Athletic had a, had, a, had a trade rumor about how he says um, the Lakers have held preliminary discussions with the Spurs in recent weeks showing interest in Josh Richardson. Uh, again, Shams only noted uh, Richardson. He did say that the, that the Lakers are keeping, you know, keeping communication with the Spurs and several other teams, uh, re, you know, regarding trades. And so I, I don't think the Lakers would do this, but, you know, I think right now if there was a package the Spurs, you know, m- might be interested, you know, they definitely want, I think right now, because it's, it's early in the season and Richardson's playing very well, maybe they, they do want a first round pick for him. So, they, you know, just using the trade mechanics, I found a, a deal for like uh, Richardson, Langford for Russ and, and, the, and, and one first. Uh, I, I don't think the Lakers would do that um, with, with those two picks. I, I think they would, they would still want a better, you know, a better trade, uh, a group or, or package uh, for, for Russ and, and those two firsts. What do you think about that trade or just this rumor? Yeah, I think, um, like you were saying, I, th- I think that some people are so fixated on the fact that the Lakers only have two first-round picks that mm-hmm. I, I think the instant reaction is like, oh, they only have to give up one pick. They'll have a whole nother pick to get talent with. And it's like, well, this would be an amazing trade for the Spurs. You know, um, Richardson is not someone who projects to be on the team like in five years from now. And that pick could be really, really valuable. LeBron probably won't be there anymore when that pick conveys. So... Um, it, it's just a matter of uh, if it sounds way too good for one team, it's probably not good enough. Like, yes, the, the Lakers have a rust problem. They lost without Westbrook last night. Yeah. And um, if Josh Richardson makes you go from 0-4 to something, I mean, like, I, I just if that's the fix for your great collapse – then I mean, what what's your upside? Is it the play? And like I, I, I think the Miles Turner Buddy Healed thing sounds better for them, just because yeah. it's kind of shooting. And then Miles Turner is an amazing defender; he can play next to Anthony, all that kind of stuff. That's not the Spurs, but yeah, I think if something sounds too good for one team, it's probably not how it's going to go down. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, and and just I didn't know what the Lakers do at this point. I mean, do, why, why if you're not if, if you're going to get rid of your future by trading those two picks, why are you going to do that if you're not going to be you know better than a playing team at this point? I, again, I don't I don't know what they're going to do, uh, but it's just interesting again that that, that they're already interested in in, in, um, in Richardson. I'm sure they're going to be interested in McDermott. I'm sure they're going to be interested in Yaka Pertl. You know, just uh, any those Spurs veterans. Other teams are going to are going to want those players because they know that you know two of those players, Pertl and and Richardson, can't um, are on expiring contracts, and then McDermott has one year left on his deal, and we know that those players even though they're part of the rotation they don't quite fit the timeline for this um, young Spurs team so again we'll kind of see what happens uh, up until that February trade deadline all right so uh, before we close out this episode Colin you wrote this past week um, you had a piece where it was called uh, the San Antonio Spurs tanking not this year well can you give the listeners um, uh, just a a little bit brief description of that piece that you wrote yeah I I think for me it's important to kind of use the right words when we're having a conversation about something, you know, and I think we've, we've become a little bit too fast and free with the word tanking. Um, I I had a conversation with someone on Twitter and I can't remember exactly who it was, but I was like, there has to be a way to differentiate between what the magic have done over the past couple of seasons and what the process 76 years or what the thunder of the past couple of seasons did, you know, uh, even the magic, they traded three of their best players away, but it wasn't like, we're like we're gonna send a healthy Al Horford home because he's gonna win us games, and then the next year he's like contributing to a finals run. Like there are there are teams that do that, and then there are teams that stay young, you know. And, and I think there has to be a way to differentiate between that. 
Uh, part of the reason why I wanted to make that differentiation is because you can already see there's this fervor building about this season is about Victor Wimbanyana or bust. And to me, that's so incredibly boring. Even if the Spurs get the worst record, there's only a 14% chance. Mm-hmm. The lottery isn't until the end of June. So you're telling me like, okay, this whole season, really just throw it away, stop paying attention, wake up at the end of June, and if they get the number one pick, this season is a success. And like, as someone who just really enjoys basketball and loves analyzing the game, that's just so boring to me. And I feel like we need a better way to like look at this season and to analyze this season and to be able to like dig into what's going on with the Spurs now without being so future focused that the only thing we care about um, is a seven foot four guy in France who looks like he's going to be amazing, but you know, hasn't played a second of NBA basketball. So I I just think, uh, I think there is a, you know, I, I made the point in the piece that all tanking is a form of rebuilding, but not all forms of rebuilding are tanking. And I think the Spurs are clearly rebuilding um, and they might get to tanking by the end of the year where they're resting healthy players or something like that if they can't find trades for them. But right now, they're not. They're they're just putting out the lineup they have and they're going to, whatever record comes to them, they're going to get that and they're going to develop the players the best they can. Yeah, that, that's the key word there is development. I think that's, that's what Coach Pop says. And it said in training camp preseason, like this is like just about growing these these individual players and all. He wants them all to you know improve as the year goes on. Now that may not be a you know result in a playoff team or even you know in the worst team, the worst record in the league. But again, it, that's that's what the key is for this team. So again, we'll kind of see what happens. And again, that, that's a good piece there by Colin. So uh, make sure you check that out over on ProjectSpurs.com. So thanks to Colin for joining me on this episode of the Spurs Cast. I also wanted to say thank you to Joe Garcia for mixing and producing this episode from all of us at Project Spurs. Stay safe and have a great day.